0: Hey Valley Church, welcome to Church Online. Uh, If we haven't met, my name's Brandon. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and I just want to tell you right up front that uh, we're going to take communion at the end of our service. So if you have elements, if you have some grape juice and some crackers, maybe uh, grab it, pull it in front of you for you, if you're alone, for you and your family, if you're following Jesus and you're doing life together with Jesus, pull this out uh, at the appropriate time. Uh, But I just wanted you to know so you could be prepared. Hey, uh, real quick question Are you on Facebook? I think so many of us are on Facebook. Uh, It's it's very popular. And in fact, if you're on Facebook, you should be following Valley Church. There's so much that happens from pictures and information and uh, engagement uh, and, you know, just kind of like news. So we want you to be engaged out there. But one of my favorite things about Facebook, I'm not kidding, It's Facebook Marketplace. I love the Marketplace. I used to be like a Craigslist fanatic, but uh, I just feel a little more safe, I guess, uh, when somebody puts their picture out there. Is it ever their picture? Nobody knows. Not until you meet, right? Uh, I was hanging out with one of my friends, and we were going to go meet somebody to make a, a big purchase. It wasn't for me. My friend wanted me to come along to make sure that everything was uh, good and he was safe. And so uh, we wanted to do this meetup to purchase this very expensive item from Facebook Marketplace. And we got there like too early. We were just sitting in the parking lot like just, hey, hey everybody, it's not weird. Just two dudes hanging out in the parking lot in the front seat of uh, my vehicle and we're just waiting and we're talking and we're waiting and you kind of start wondering, you know, you never know uh, the character of the person that you're out to meet when you're meeting up on uh, an app like uh, Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace or any apps actually. Uh, you don't know the reputation, you don't know what you're expecting. I mean, maybe you even start telling yourself some stories. Like, what, well, I don't even know if this guy knows Kung Fu, if he's gonna take my money. Like it just feels kind of like leery and unsafe and the two of us were just sitting in the front of my vehicle like a couple of private investigators and eventually this totally normal dude drives up, parks his truck next to us and we just talk about the product and you know, there's a, uh, right at the moment of exchange you know we decided to go with Venmo and as we're Venmoing we're also kind of like I wonder if I can see if this guy's legit and see you know what I can learn about him on his Venmo and uh, everything was fine uh, you know and even weeks later you're kind of wondering is it still work is it a legit thing that we bought it was it was fine my friend loves uh, his product but it's just a little crazy as we're driving out of the parking lot even he's like hey uh, should I take a picture of his license plate? I'm like, sure, So if we get ripped off, we can tell the cops how dumb we were, right? Uh, I don't know what good that is, but at least we would have evidence that we met this person, and this is the person that whatever. But reputation, it matters. And uh, you know, on Facebook, when you're meeting up with somebody, you just have no idea. Our reputation, it is a big deal. and and sometimes, Uh, Things are won and lost based on our reputation. And you know what's interesting about your reputation? I've heard somebody say this, that your reputation is who you are when nobody's looking. Uh, I'm like, that's really good. You know what also is good? Your reputation is based on who you are when you don't think anybody's looking. And it just seems like in today's age, like somebody's always looking. It's on video or even you're posting on social media. People see you. People, uh, maybe they don't know you, but they can get to know you by uh, what you're putting out uh, in front of you or online. And I'll tell you this, Scripture has a lot to say about our character and our reputation and our integrity. There are so many men and women throughout Scripture that we can learn from when it comes to uh, integrity, character, and the reputation we throw off. Actually, in Ecclesiastes 7.1, look at this verse. This is so good. A good name is better than precious ointment. Oh, you know that ointment. You love a good ointment, right? Who says that? Only people, you're, you, you do, right? You're into young living, essential oils. That's, this, is, this verse is for you. You know how good that essential oil is. Your character is so much more important than a good ointment or maybe a good perfume. You want perfume to smell good? This passage is saying you you want you to be known as so good. Actually, the day of death is better than the, the day of birth. In other words, so many people, I mean, I won't say everybody, but almost everybody loves a baby, right? Uh, we love babies. They're small, they're cute, they're innocent. And this passage is saying, are people going to like you as much when you leave this earth as they did when... You are brand new. Your reputation matters. It's incredibly important. Your reputation is so important inside the church. Check out Acts chapter 6, 3. As we're in the study of Acts, you might remember this verse from uh, several, several weeks ago. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation. You know, we want people inside the church uh, who are serving and take on significant leadership positions to have a good reputation. We want everybody to have a good reputation, but... It's really important to have a good reputation if you're going to be in leadership, but not just inside the church. Check this out. From Matthew chapter 5, 16, let your light shine before others. Like why? So that they can see your good works and give glory to uh, your father in heaven. Like the reputation you have outside of the church is radically important for people who aren't walking with Jesus. You know, we're continuing our study in the book of Acts. And uh, if you have your Bible with you or your flat screen like I brought, why don't you make your way to Acts chapter 24. And, uh, you know, Paul, he's just waiting. Paul is waiting for a trial. Chapter 23, it closes with Paul waiting in, in one of Herod's palaces. Uh, and he's, he's waiting after this, like, bold move of encouragement from Jesus. Like, just this bold rush of, Paul, like, take courage, be courageous, be encouraged. You know, Jesus stands beside him, says those words and says, the ministry you've done was great and I've got so much more for you. So in, uh, in Acts chapter 24, we see the Apostle Paul is a man with such a good reputation. Actually, if you're taking notes, I'd love it if you'd write this down. Paul's reputation, it stands up to false accusation. In the past few chapters, we learn that the Jews just don't like what Paul stands for. But, but that doesn't mean his reputation isn't solid just because they disagree with him. In fact, we see that outsiders are, are testing what Paul is saying here in the text. And, and these outsiders find Paul a man of good reputation. Look at verse 1. Five days later, so Paul has been waiting in the temple uh, and he's just... There, and five days later, Ananias, the high priest, this high priest we met last chapter, he came down uh, with some elders and a lawyer named Tertullus. Now, this uh, lawyer, they're bringing bringing legal counsel. They're bringing an advocate for them. Like, these Jews are ready to take Paul down in the biggest way. Uh, These men, they presented their case against Paul to the governor. They are, they're just in it. They just want to see him done and everything he stands for. Over. And let me just give you a little glimpse in this governor. This governor's name is Felix. Uh, it's such a, like a, a cool first century name, right, Felix. Uh, Felix, he was a former slave and he earned his freedom as a kid. And through the relationships that he had growing up, he gained some incredible influence and power. He actually rose in status and became the very first slave to ever become a governor in this Roman province. Uh, It's such a big deal. And and like so many others who rose in authority, uh, which is actually in stark contrast to the way Jesus calls followers to live, this Governor Felix, he is known, he is notorious, he's cruel and lustful and a a power-abusing leader. That's who we're dealing with. That's who Paul is standing before during this trial. Look at verse 2. When Paul was called in, Tertullus began to accuse him. And he said, we enjoy great peace because of you. He's talking to Felix right here. Because of you, Felix. And reforms are taking place for the benefit of the nation because of your foresight. We acknowledge this in every way and everywhere. Most excellent Felix with utmost gratitude. But so that I will not burden you any further. I request that you would be kind enough to give us a brief hearing. Of course they want it brief. They want this over quickly. Uh, you know, this, this verse, these verses, by the way, contain the way that a leader wants to be spoken to in public. It's something Paul didn't do last chapter, and that's one of the things that got him into trouble. Uh, but this wasn't just respect that this lawyer was giving the governor. Uh, he, was, he was buttering him up. I mean, have you ever buttered somebody up? You know what I'm talking about, right? You're just kind of heaping on compliments, hopefully, to, to get what you want. That happens all the time in my house. You know, I might say to my wife, Babe, dinner last night was so good. And she might say something like, "Uh, we had cold meat sandwiches. I got to remember the good things because cold meat sandwiches aren't something to brag about. She knows something is up. Or maybe one of my kids, my kids will come up to me and they'll say, dad, you're so strong. And I'm just kind of like, well, you know, wait a minute, what do you want? Like you just know that's what's happening in the text. Like this lawyer is trying to get as close uh, as he can to the governor. He's trying to flatter him because he just wants to win his approval and he wants to win the case. So, so this lawyer was actually lowering himself and pandering for Felix in hopes that he would you know, win the case. I mean, he is a corrupt governor, so you know, I'm just going to win this case by, by any way possible. Look at verse 5. For we have found this man, now they're talking about Paul, right? We have found this man to be a plague an agitator among all the Jews throughout the Roman world and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Are you kidding me? Like, he's like saying, this Apostle Paul is everything you aren't. You are so excellent. This guy is a troublemaker. He's a problem, he's a plague. The Apostle Paul's an agitator, not just to us, all of us Jews, But I just want you to know he is an agitator among the whole Roman world. Are you kidding? Like here, the the Roman government didn't care anything about their laws and their rules and their traditions and their temples and yada, yada, yada. The one thing they did care about was their own king, their own authority and and corruption in their government. So they throw out that Paul's probably going to be a problem to the entire Roman world. And he's the ringleader, by the way, of a sect of the Nazarenes. You know what a sect is, right? It's a, this group that breaks off from another, another group. Like he's saying, uh, the Apostle Paul, he's a part of this underground movement. He's a zealot. The Apostle Paul is part of this subculture that's actually threatening us all. Verse 6. He even tried to desecrate the temple. That's a big deal to the Jews. And, and so we apprehended him. By examining him yourself you will be able to discern the truth about these charges uh, that we're bringing against him. Uh, The Jews also joined in the attack. Listen, I love that word attack. Because what that's telling me is that the crowd is becoming more and more agitated themselves. Uh, It is is getting a little feisty in the area. And uh, these Jews, they joined in the attack alleging that all of these things were true. Now... We only see really three charges brought up against Paul. If you're a note taker, you, you might want to write these down. Uh, they say he's a troublemaker. Uh, I don't know if that's a really a, a big deal to go to court over. He, uh, he's a ringleader. Uh, they definitely didn't care that he was a ringleader of the, the Jewish sect. Uh, and, and they said he's a defiler of the temple. Like these are our laws and we want you to, to prosecute him for, for violating everything. And by the way, all of these things are true. Do you know how we know they're true? Because we said it's true, right? Like when somebody says this is true, like there's something, my antennas go up. Like you don't have to tell me. It's either true or it's not true. Uh, and and uh, things are getting a little crazy, a little heated. Hostility is growing. And they're so absolutely confident in their presentation to the governor. But what's interesting, what you may have noticed or not noticed, just write it off to the side. There's no evidence. These are just complaints. Complaints without evidence and complaints without witnesses. Jewish law said you needed to bring two witnesses if there was a crime that happened and it doesn't seem like any of this is happening. So after the lawyer presents his case uh, about the apostle Paul, Paul now he gets an opportunity to defend himself. If you're taking notes you might want to write this down. Paul's reputation is actually easy to defend. It's just easily defendable. Paul just stands up and he starts talking, you know. Uh, And while, by the way, Ananias, the high priest, and all these elders brought their lawyer, it kind of seems like Paul is left without representation. It doesn't seem fair to us. But I'll tell you this, uh, Jesus is standing with him. God is with him. And I'll tell you this, the Holy Spirit, who Scripture calls our advocate, is, is powerfully working in him and through him. Check this out in verse 10. When the governor motioned for him, the Apostle Paul, to speak, Paul replied, because I know, now he's talking to Felix, right? He, he, maybe he learned his lesson to address leadership well in public. He says, because, because I know that you've been a judge for this nation for many years, I'm glad to offer my defense in what concerns me. I, like, he doesn't really say anything. You notice, know, like this uh, lawyer, he comes in and he's really buttering him up. Paul, let me, let me just kind of reword what Paul said. Out of all the governors I know, you're one of them. Like he doesn't give him anything. He's just saying, I'm, I'm ha- you've got longevity. You've got some seniority. I'm happy to present to you because that's the legal way. That's the process. He's respectful, but he's definitely not buttering him up. Look at verse 11. You can verify for yourself that it is no more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. He says, you know, I have nothing to hide. You can ask anybody you want. Uh, I hope that it's a a fair witness, but uh, you can ask around. I have nothing to hide. Paul stands up to the accusation with truth and with his good character because Paul has a great reputation. And he says, I went up to worship. I didn't go up there to cause trouble, but to worship. People have seen me worship. I was worshiping in public. I was worshiping in the temple. I have nothing to hide. You can actually go check. And then in verse 12. They didn't find me arguing with anyone or causing any disturbance in the context of worshiping. Come on, I'm I'm in there. I'm going to Jerusalem. None of this is true. I I didn't cause a disturbance among the crowd, either in the temple nor in the synagogue or anywhere in the city. Neither can they prove the charges that they're making now against me. You can't prove it. There's, There's no evidence. It's unfounded. You know, Paul could have said the only disturbance that happened in the city was an angry mob and it formed multiple times. And by the way, it wasn't because of me. It was because of them. Like he's, his defense is so strong because his character is so good. He's like each and every time there was an angry mob, the agitators were the Jews, not, not me. Paul responded to each and every accusation. And Paul doesn't just deny the accusations. Like he offers evidence and he invites uh, investigation. And he's like, you know, you can't prove it. Uh, You can't, you can't prove, you're not going to find my accuser here. They didn't even come. It's, it's, It's ridiculous. Verse 14. But I admit to you this. I worship the God of my ancestors according to the way which they call a sect, believing everything that is in accordance with the law and written in the prophets. I have a hope in God, which these men themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection both of the righteous and the unrighteous. Paul really kind of spills out what he's here for. He's like, you want a confession? I'm going to give you a confession. And again, he just takes this opportunity to talk about his faith in Jesus. You know, while there were three accusations against Paul, Paul kind of retorts with with three confessions. He says, here's what I admit to you. I admit that I, I worship God according to the way. You know, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's claiming his faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, he, uh, he's clarifying that he doesn't worship a false god, he doesn't worship an idol. He's a member of the way. Uh, they, they simply don't like what, what he's saying because it's a, a subculture of the Jewish faith. So that's why he's being brought up. He's, the second thing he says is, I believe in the law and the prophets. In other words, what he's saying is, you want to know what else? Not only do I love God, I love the scriptures. Like if I'm guilty of anything, I'm guilty of loving God and I'm guilty of reading scripture and loving scripture. And then the third thing he says is, I have a hope. I have a hope in God because he's gonna come back for his people. He's, he talks about the resurrection of the dead, both the, the uh, righteous and the unrighteous, that there will be a reckoning of those who are following Jesus and also for everybody else. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. And then he comes back around to talk about the proof again. He's like, there was no proof. Then he says, this is what I'm guilty of. And then in verses uh, 16 through 20, he says this. I always strive to have a clear conscience toward God and toward men. After many years, I came to bring charitable gifts and offerings to my people. While I was doing this, some Jews from Asia found me ritually purified in the temple without a crowd and without an uproar. It is they who ought to be here before you bringing charges if they have anything against me. Or let these men here state what wrongdoing they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin. Uh, he says I've got a clear conscience. He's like, he's defending himself, right? He's saying I'm kind. Uh, I have character. I have a good reputation. Uh, I wasn't in the temple defiling the temple at all. Actually, I was bringing charitable gifts. Like who is so generous if they're defiling the temple? That doesn't make any sense. And the crowd. He says there was no crowd, there was no mob, at least until these guys got there, right? He didn't start the scene. Uh, The Apostle Paul, uh, he's just saying, I am clean of all of these accusations. Uh, And my actual accusers, by the way, my actual accusers, they're not even here, which is illegal. Like the men who were supposedly witnesses to what Paul had seen and done, aren't they? The two witnesses needed to be there. Paul's like, this is ridiculous. The people present weren't even witnesses to the accusations being brought up against me. So, for about 12 days, right? Paul says, for about 12 days, I was in Jerusalem worshiping. I was being generous. Uh, I was in the temple. I was purified. I was, I was living in a humble manner. There was no uproar, there was no problem. Well, <laughs> maybe maybe there's one little problem. He says this. He says, other than this one statement that I shouted while standing among them. I mean, Paul admittedly got a little feisty. He got a little lippy and he got in trouble and maybe used a little sarcasm on the crowd and the chief priests. He's like, there's this one thing I did. But, you know, that's no reason for me to be here. He says this. You really want to know why I'm here. Why I'm being charged. What I'm guilty of is the fact that, that they don't like that today I'm on trial before you concerning the resurrection of the dead. They don't like my faith in Jesus. They don't like the fact that Jesus is messing up their old religious ways. And by the way, Jesus is the fulfillment of their old religious ways. He is the Messiah that they're waiting on. He's saying, Felix, I am here because of my faith in Jesus Christ. Paul is just able to give a clear, solid defense his conscience is clear. His reputation is stellar. And it's, and it's hard for anybody at this point to see that he's, he's anything but innocent. And, and then this last section of the text. I, this is so beautiful. I love this. If you're taking notes, we see that Paul's reputation earns him influence. Paul receives an unprecedented amount of influence with the governor. Check this out. Um, verse 22. Since Felix was well informed about the way. Like, I just want to pause and just... Like remind you. Like he's saying, I know the church. I've heard of the church. I've heard of the way. Like I, I know, I know what you're all about. You have a reputation. I've been informed. I know what Paul's all about and I know what the church is all about. And by the way, uh, the, the governor's wife, she was a Jew. She was part of God's chosen people. It's like Felix is saying, I get the newsletter. Like I know what everything is all about. You know, I just kind of wonder what you're known for Uh, because we as a church strive to do good works in our community, to uh, build goodwill and the opportunity to share the good news. I think that Valley Church's reputation in our community, it's actually really good. I love bumping into people who don't go to church here but they, they know about our church and they always have great things to say like they find out that I'm a pastor at Valley and they say, are, you're a pastor, is that the church that does that garage sale thing? And then I get to say, well, it's actually called the garage no sale. We just pull together all the stuff uh, from, from, from uh, people at our church and then we just, we just give it away or somebody says, hey, you go to that church that has that awesome car show. I was at that car show. It's incredible. Or you go to that church that has that community center. Or you go to that church that has such handsome pastors. Like these are the things that I'm hearing about our church. Nobody's ever said nobody's ever <laughs> said that any of our pastors are handsome. But you get my point. Like just to have such a good reputation in the community, it's a gift. And I love, I love that Valley Church has a reputation like that. I hope that you as a follower of Jesus have a good reputation, that Paul had a good reputation and the Felix, the way had a good reputation. You know, he's aware of the reputation. He's aware of the church's generosity. He's aware that the church is all about loving God and loving others. And, and then actually what the governor does at this point is he adjourns the hearing uh, trying to kind of deflect what's happening. Uh, you know, he, he knows that Paul isn't a troublemaker, that the church isn't known for being troublemakers or agitators or a plague. And so... Felix was well informed about the church. He adjourned the hearing saying when uh, Lysias, that's the commander that brought Paul down, when he comes down again, uh, I will decide your case. He ordered that a centurion keep Paul under guard. Uh, he's given him a measure of freedom, but he's still gonna detain him uh, and that we should not prevent any of his friends from coming and meeting his needs. So. Uh, he has no intention of punishing Paul, but he also has no intention of releasing Paul. He wants to do the Jews a favor. Uh, He doesn't want any chaos. He doesn't want any more mobs. So he just kind of detains Paul. And uh, unfortunately, he he wants to keep these Jews happy. So Paul can only share the good news of Jesus with those who are around him instead of on his public ministry. But it's not a problem because he's exactly where God wants him to be. And because of Paul's good reputation and because of the reputation of the church, it earns him an incredible opportunity. He he receives an incredible amount of influence because of his reputation. Look at verse 24. Several days later, so Paul's still in custody, when Felix came with his wife, uh, Drusilla, like she, I don't know if you know this about them, uh, but you know, Felix is on his third marriage. And he lured Jerusalem away from her first husband. He wanted to marry her. She was known for her beauty. So these guys are on multiple marriages. And uh, they're getting this chance to see the Apostle Paul. And so um, she was a Jew, as the text says. And he sent for Paul to listen to him about the subject of faith in Christ. Now, as he spoke about righteousness, self-control... And the judgment to come, Felix became afraid and replied, Leave for now, but when I have an opportunity, I will call for you. And at the same time, he was also hoping that the Apostle Paul would offer him money, so he sent for him quite often and had conversations with him. So, what's happening here is the Apostle Paul is having a conversation with this well known governor who is on his multiple marriage and his wife has multiple marriages and they're sitting together and he's just having an opportunity to love, to to pass on the story of truth, to share about his faith in Christ, to extend grace. And not just that, but very specifically, which I think is interesting in the text, that he talks about righteousness, which in other words, a righteous God and right things in life. He talks about self-control. He knew that self-control was an issue as this guy was a tyrant. As as, uh, he's trying to make a marriage succeed, he's trying to lead a government, he's talking about self-control. And finally, he talks about the judgment to come. In other words, he's not just leaving it at, you know, hey, here's some good tips on being a better leader. He's like, you know what? One day there will be a judgment of the righteous and the unrighteous. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. And this is a gift for you, Felix. And something stirred up inside of the governor. Something was unsettling about that. And I will tell you what I think it is. I think it was the Holy Spirit working through Paul and moving in Felix. But instead of responding to what he was being called to, he, he sends Paul away. He, he was corrupt as he's maybe hoping Paul will give him some money, but he's curious as Paul got to sit with him for two years. And talk about Look at verse 25 again. Uh, You know, he says to Paul, leave now. Leave right now, but when I have an opportunity, I will call for you. Like, what opportunity is he looking for? Felix actually squandered this opportunity because, because he became a little uncomfortable with the gospel. He just sent Paul away. I actually like how this reads in the NIV. Uh, As Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and he said, That's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. I wonder if that's true for you. That sometimes we let the inconvenience of the gospel, we just push it away. That it's not conveniently going to fit in my life. It doesn't conveniently fit with where I'm at, how I feel, what I want to do. So, we push it away. That's what Felix did. He, he squandered this opportunity. It wasn't a convenient time for him, even though he was clearly stirred and moved by the gospel. He was delaying. He was putting off a decision to follow Jesus. And the fear that he was feeling, it just wasn't normal for him. He was a leader. He was a strong man. He didn't like the way that the gospel was, was making him feel. So he, he rejects the opportunity and he pushes Paul away. I'll tell you this, when God is stirring inside of us when when he's trying to do something and he's calling us like we got to lean into it we got to move forward not not push him away you know the apostle paul was was teaching uh, about faith and righteousness and self-control like this guy needed to hear all of these things and and he shared the judgment to come that one day jesus is going to come back for his people and there will be a judgment of the righteous and the unrighteous the righteous to eternal life with God in heaven and to the unrighteous, eternal separation and condemnation. What a gift. What a gift that the Apostle Paul had. And look, look at how the text ends. Verse 27. After two years had passed, Paul was there for a really long time. Uh, Portius Festus succeeded Felix and became, uh, because Felix wanted to do the Jews a favor, he left Paul in prison. If you were given two years to share your faith in Jesus Christ with at least one life, how would that one life be impacted? Like after two years. I'll tell you this. You and I, we exist to love God and to love others. I mean, that's the cycle that we need to be living in. Loving God every day. Loving others every day. Like just a constant love God, love others. And we want to make the most out of every opportunity. I'll tell you this. It's not your responsibility to save somebody. You know, salvation is something we present, but it's not something we force or push. I love this verse. One of my favorite verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Each of us has a role. Each and every one of us has a role. And the Lord has given this to us that I planted seeds. The Apostle Paul says, I plant seeds. Apollos watered seeds. There's many people, many hands doing many jobs. But it's God who gave the growth. You and I, we just faithfully love God and love others and we let God do the work. Faithfully, obediently follow what God is calling us to, but let God do the work. You know, the Apostle Paul here, he is, he is on trial for what we're going to celebrate right now. Uh, I hope that you had an opportunity to get your communion elements uh, because we get to celebrate communion as a church family. Uh, communion is the celebration of what Jesus has done for us, but it's also anticipation of what Jesus one day will do for us. Celebration of his life, death, and resurrection and anticipation that he is going to come again for the righteous and the unrighteous. Every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess. Now I'll tell you this, if you're watching online and you are not a member of Valley Church, uh, you don't have to be a member to take communion. You only need to be a member of the family of God. John three sixteen said for God so loved the world that he gave us one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God loves you so much that God gave you the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ that if you believe that Jesus is resurrected from the dead you receive salvation. Romans 10 9 says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved. Salvation is a gift from God. And it is an outward confession of an inward condition. So if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, communion is for you. Let me read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. The Apostle Paul says this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Celebration of what he has done for us on the cross and through the resurrection and anticipation that he's coming back for his people. Take when you're ready. And I want you to know I love you. I'm thankful for you. I'm glad we joined Uh, for worship together this weekend Uh, let me pray God thanks for today thanks for each and every man woman and child who uh, calls Valley Church their home I just thank you for the work that you're doing in our lives and God I ask in Jesus name you would continue to grow us up that we would be men and women with integrity great reputation and character and that you would give us opportunity and influence that we leverage for your glory we pray this in Christ's name take when you're ready